As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Built to Last show. I am thrilled to have my friend and colleague, Crystal Clifton, with me. What's up, Crystal? Hey. So um, good to have you. I miss being in Santa Barbara. I, know. <laughs> I was thinking about well, getting on with you. I'm like, oh my God, like I need to, I need a reason to go to Santa Barbara. And now I have one because you're there. So I need to plan a trip to come out there. I miss being there. I'm so excited to dive into this conversation with you. We're going to talk about so many things today, but before we dive in, if you will give our audience and our listeners a little bit of the backstory on who you are, a little bit about your background in the business world and how that got you to where you are today. Absolutely. So I began my entrepreneur career at the very ambitious age of 22 years old and Somewhat naively, I thought even though we were a small brand, totally unknown in a garage warehouse next to an auto body shop, that we were going to be this global impact. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you got to start somewhere. I know. So that, um, and we were talking about glamorous, how people think like, oh, they were an overnight success. And whether you're Taylor Swift or myself, like everybody goes through those moments. You're like, I believe in something bigger than where I am right now. So um, I'm humbled and honored to say we had successes and major publications, TV shows. Um, we were we were given the accolades of number eight wine in the world and President Obama served our wines and gave it a, gifts to diplomats. So it was a very incredible journey. It has um, transitioned my life and who I am. And then 2015, I sold the winery and began my passion of helping other brands have that type of success and hopefully not be hit by some of the two by fours that did hit me as an entrepreneur that really, you know, those peak and valleys, you get into a valley and you, it's a lot harder to climb out of a valley versus somebody who comes along your side and says, Hey, what about if we just took this journey in smaller steps? And we went up, 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 instead of up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah. Yeah. Very long. It was uh, raising kids, which is always fun. Yeah. So, okay. I want to take it to um, a topic that I believe comes up really often with women and not just when they first get started in their business. I think this starts to come up every time we're going to take a new leap, go to another level, or like we were talking about before we press record, a lot of folks in the entrepreneurial space are starting to really reinvent their themselves and their businesses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of us feel like maybe we're in like startup mode all over again because we're going in some new direction. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about where, how do you tap into and raising your own self-worth, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, again, so many people, like you said, think that, well, you know, she was born that way. It's just easier for her, or she grew up wealthy, or she grew up with entrepreneurial parents or, or whatever. And I know that 
both of us had like pretty humble beginnings when we were growing up as children. Neither one of us came from these like super wealthy families, but yet you've been able to build incredible brands, incredible businesses. Like you, you've done some really fabulous things in your entrepreneurial career. Where does your self-worth come from? Well, I would say that it evolves, right? Cause that 22 years old, my self-worth was pretty adolescent because I still equated it to the doing, right? My worthiness came from either the next accolade or the next project I was working on or the next release, how much I sold. And whether that's good or not, that did give me the fuel in the engine at that time to just rocket the way I needed to go, right? And I I believe what happens though, the same way where if you look at a rocket ship where it starts like leaving, it's you know, the, whatever got it into that next stratosphere. I think that's what happens as entrepreneurs. You're like, well, the fuel that got us to the next stratosphere, sometimes we have to break off and we have to find that next level of momentum. And when I sold the winery in 2015, I went through such a health crisis and I, I, I didn't know that using that type of self-worth was actually creating complete disruption in my female body. One, because when you are always looking at hunting and killing, which is a very like heavily masculine, like hustle, grind, all the ways that we are taught, right? Couple that with the wine business is a very masculine business. So I was 22 Mm -hmm. years old and to be taken seriously, I had to quote unquote, prove myself, which meant getting up and farming in the middle of the night, which meant riding forklifts, which I still love by the way. Um, but arguing with truck drivers, no, I got this. Cause I would have truck drivers say, Oh, little lady, let's just wait till the boys come. And I would say, I know how to do this. Please move. You know, I would, <laughs> <laughs> so whether it was, um, pushing on a pallet jack, a, you know, 2000 pound fermenter or whatever, it was a lot of hustle and grind. And I remember one of my first harvests, I knew we couldn't sleep because I needed to get things done before Thanksgiving. And so I made a pot of coffee and then used the coffee instead of water to run through and make a second pot. So I could just pull like a 30 hour work 30 hours. So again, that worthiness was like, yeah, it was this sense of like, look at me. And All my worthiness, I think kind of fell apart when my health fell apart. My business was sold. We were also talking about, you know, that sense of identity. My name was on a bottle, Brewer Clifton. I would walk in a restaurant anywhere around the world and I was Brewer Clifton. So when I no longer had that, I realized my worthiness was still on the outside. And so this journey since then has been about realigning that next level of worthiness, which is a way different experience. It is not so high and low. It is more what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast where it's small little steps and being patient with myself. So a lot of that is meditation and tapping and having a mindset coach because to understand worthiness, you also have to understand the power you have in your worthiness Mm -hmm. and permission. Mm -hmm. Permission was the biggest piece for me because when you fully accept where you are and love yourself, no matter what and then give yourself permission to be who you are and have the next level vision, all sides of you start aligning differently. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you sold the winery in 2015. Yep. End of 2015. 
And then the business, the business that you currently have, did you start that immediately after you sold the business? Like at what point did the business that you currently have come into play? Number one. And then two, you know, how did you approach building this, the current business differently than you did in the wine industry where it was very hustle and grind? It was very masculine. Clearly, you're not doing that in the same way today. You're operating in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did you start this business? What was sort of like that kind of that interim period? Did you go through anything? Did you have a dark night of the soul? How'd you figure out what you were doing next? And then how'd you approach it differently? I think my, I, you know, people say dark night of the soul, but sometimes those nights are like 700 of them <laughs> in a row, <laughs> dark years of the soul. Um, so it wasn't like I sold the winery and I suddenly was rolling around and, you know, this, oh my gosh, I don't have to do anything. And I'm going to go on vacation because not to go into details and um, legally I can't, can't go into details, but um, there was a lot of things that I didn't want to sell. I was forced to sell. So there was a lot of um, things that came up for me through that. And I had a very interesting marriage that was not working for me. There was, and I didn't realize that because we were in a very stressful state of navigating the sale. We had two wineries. One was just my husband and I, and one we had partnership and it was a lot. And so I went to a Tony Robbins conference and I walked on fire and I came back and I realized, oh, I don't want to, this is not the person for me. And so decided to get divorced. So when we talk about dark night of the soul, having that identity change of I'm no longer a winery owner, I'm no longer my maker, and I'm not married to the person of the other winery. And it, it all happened the week that we were interviewed for being the most influential wine couple in the country. So it was a big shift in November of 2015. I then went and started a virtual marketing company thinking that's what I'm going to do. And hired a partner and did everything to make that successful. But I was operating out of a different side of myself, right? I was still using that hustle grind mentality mm-hmm. and it didn't, it didn't stick. And then when I continued, I still had my consulting business. I was consulting even when I was um, at the winery. So I just kept consulting. And then really, I would say the biggest shift was working on myself instead of working on the doing. And I started slowly doing that. And when I started doing that, I started also serving differently. So Mm -hmm. I actually, even though I had a consulting business and knew really well what I wanted to do, I ran a lot of female entrepreneur classes. I donated time to local businesses that give loans to women in business. I would speak at a lot of things. I just started serving, showing up and serving. And then I still had my clients on the side, my one-on-one clients, but I really didn't have any programs other than people reaching out to me and putting together a retreat or a work day or something just slow over time. And just, I've just slowly kind of turned up the dial a little bit each year mm-hmm. because my number one goal was also to be very present with my kids because prior to this life change, I was on the road 20 days a month. Wow. That's a lot. It was a lot. So I never even picked up my kids from school until a few years ago. So it was, it was a really a big, I, not the word balance. Cause there is no such thing. Cause imbalance is actually what life is made out of. Right. So there's those, those ups and downs, but it is about alignment. And so mm-hmm. it was about how do I turn up the volume, doing what I love to do, having clients and 
working on really fun projects. I, my creative mind, because there was different agencies that saw what I was doing and they needed it for their clients. So I'd be brought into whether it was a musician or a jeweler or um, a, a product or a CBD. It's so it's been fun for me to apply what I love doing to almost any type of business because the foundations of what I do are so they're so rooted in success. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're online business or a product. Yeah. All right. So speaking of kids, um, you and I are both moms. We're both entrepreneurs and the majority of the people listening to this are probably both as well. And leading a life as an entrepreneur is, well, let me ask you this. Were, your, were either one of your parents business owners when you were growing up or did they have like nine to fives? No, it was that um, my grandma was a business owner. So mm-hmm. I kind of grew up where if I, my grandma to have time with her, it was not baking cookies. It was checking pockets at the dry cleaners. So she worked from um, 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. six days a week. So I'd be dropped off for dates with grandma and I was put to work. Okay. And then my dad owned his own business and, but neither the biggest difference is, and I, if they ever hear this, I think they'll understand they weren't joyfully working in their own businesses. They owned them, which gave them a sense of freedom, but it wasn't like they were given a choice in life to go, what do you really want to do? Cause that those conversations didn't happen for entrepreneurs to say, what's your truest joy and passion. It was, this is a provision for my family. Yeah. So I did see business as kind of a stress and, you know, this whole mindset of like, you can't find good employees or there's never enough. So there's a lot of scarcity mindset that did happen despite the fact that they were entrepreneurial because that yeah. entrepreneurial mindset was, is, was very different. It was just, they were hardworking. Right. They are yeah. hardworking. Well, that was that generation too, you know, yeah. whether they were working a job or running a business, it was all about hard work and, and putting food on the table. So as a mom, as an entrepreneur, you know, we have lots of ideas all the time. Mm-hmm. We like to go in new and different directions all the time. We have really big dreams and, and desires, and it's a very different way of life than if you have parents who do have a nine to five, you know, like my parents worked at the same job, my dad for 48 years, my mom for 34. And so I lived in the, the house that I grew up in is the house my parents still live in. So that's like the sameness, sameness, right? Like making decisions was probably a little bit easier. As an entrepreneur, when you do have like ideas or like we were talking earlier, like maybe you have a dream of, you know, living in another country in the summertime. And we see people doing that in our space all the time. And when you have kids, like how do you approach whatever the balance or the imbalance of where you're being pulled and when you're where you're being called as an entrepreneur and also you have kids that you want to provide a great life for stability they're interested in things they've got friends they've got school they've got sports just like our 11 year old too like she's pretty entrenched with school and sports but yet sometimes Sean and I are like well, we want to move or we want to do this do you stay do you go how do you and I, I know you and I are not the only ones who like grapple with that How do you, I mean, how do you make sense of all that in your own mind? How do you make decisions around that as a mom and as an entrepreneur? Like, what's your approach? I I would love to learn from you too. Well, I, (laughs) well, I will say this. Um, I, I struggled and we were kind of touching on that a little bit before we hopped on. And 
because I had this vision of how life would be as a mom and being more entrepreneurial and being in working. I work a lot between here and Italy. Like Italy has been my, um, kind of my, my lifeline, if you will. I have clients that are in Italy. I work with businesses that are Italian and I went to school there and that's where I found myself. So I remember even as a university person thinking, I'm going to come back here with my kids and live here. And so there's my version of what life is as a mom. And then there's the cards I was dealt and how to line those up. There was a lot of friction for me and a lot of anger and a lot of frustration because I kept thinking, but why isn't this happening? What is going on? And that goes back to what I've really, it's like a frying pan active presence and permission. Okay. Mm. Even if this isn't how I thought it was going to go. What can I do in this moment to appreciate it? Because if we're still that longing of where, what we want to be, you can have a vision, but you have to know how you're going to feel in that vision. And that's how the vision becomes a reality. If you, because it may be, Hey, I actually get to speak Italian every Friday at an Italian restaurant here. And we still get to enjoy the, the wine country, whatever it is, because the feeling of the vision is very different than longing or being frustrated by the vision not coming true. And my sense of identity needs to not live in a future vision, but it needs to be in that present moment where I'm actually prioritizing things. So priorities and values have been probably my biggest North stars raising my kids. Like, well, what do I prioritize? Well, I prioritize having great conversations, eating really well, and traveling and always tasting food. Now I can still do that. And then I also prioritize their mental health. I absolutely, and that's yesterday, one of my kids texted me from school and said, I need you. I'm not okay. And it would, would have been really easy to be like, I'm booked. Mm. I have so many meetings. Instead, I prioritize the fact that a, I told them, whatever you need, I will be there. We're going to work through it together, B, and C, your mental health is important. So if I can help you learn how the tools to do that. So I went and picked him up, canceled the rest of my afternoon. And we just sat down by the river and talked for two hours. And that, because I prioritize the value of connection, and I do that in my business and with my clients as well. If my clients need me, I'm going to connect with them. That gives me the peace of being present in the moment. And readjusting the vision to be about peace, not about being in Italy. I love that. I love that. Also, you know, it just goes to show your self-worth too, because sometimes we feel pulled like, oh gosh, well, if I cancel these clients, if I cancel these meetings, what are they going to think about me? Are they going to leave? Are they going to work with somebody who don't ha- doesn't have to go? So that's really a testament to the way you see yourself. Um, in such high regard and your family. I think that's amazing. Well, and I was very honest, right? So with my clients is, Hey, I know our meeting didn't work, but I'm here for you. So I then adjust because some of them are on the East coast. Like, okay, so then I'll just take a meeting between six and 7am when my kids are asleep and and serve my client. Mm -hmm. But because, but with a peaceful vision, not a power play of like, I am so frustrated that I have to get up at 6am for this call. Right. So that's, again, if you prioritize and have your values of how you want to feel as part of your vision, things really fall differently in place. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay. Let's switch gears just a bit. 
Uh, I want to touch on some of your experience building a premium brand, serving premium clients. And one of the reasons why I want to go in this direction is because over the years, you and I both have probably heard from clients, and I, you know, I've always kind of heard this, this whole idea around, well, I don't know where that client exists, or I don't know if I have value for that client, or um, you know, we hear so much around pricing. Like I even had a conversation with a client two days ago, and she had recently raised her prices on a six-month program. It used to be three or four months. Now it's, excuse me, six months, a retreat, $9,000. And she's like, did I make the wrong decision? Like, should I just like reduce it? Are people going to buy this? There's all this like hubbub around like pricing and, and I can, I'm just going to discount. So I'd love for us to have, spend a few minutes talking about, you know, what it, like who is a premium client? What are they looking for? What do they value? The way I see so many folks like thinking about it in their heads, it's like a premium client is like the big bad wolf. And they're like terrified to approach that person. So can you shed some light on who are these people who are buying premium offers? Mm -hmm. What do they value? Do Do they exist? And what does it mean to be providing a premium experience through your offer? Absolutely. It's so interesting to me that people first think about who is my premium client and where do I find them? The truth is you can't find them till you absolutely know what they're looking for, not who they are. And I know that sounds silly, but hear me when I say that a premium client's not looking for a commodity and they're not looking for convenience, right? So a premium client doesn't want to know about your pricing or features and benefits. They want to know what transformation and feeling they're going to have working with you. And that's the number one thing that most entrepreneurs get wrong. Mm. They do these ideal avatar worksheets. They're like, it's 30 to 35 year olds and they watch the show and they, okay, but what's their pain point and what's the transformation after working with you, whether you have a perfume, what is it that you're really selling? What do you really do for them? And for us at the winery, when I understood that that's what needed to happen, that we we were chasing clients and I was losing money and I shifted, mm-hmm. I hired actually a coach at the time. And this was before coaches were a thing. I remember going, what am I doing wrong? And we worked on what do I really do? And it, and I came to, we create memories around the table. Well, guess what happened? That's how I started training my staff. That's how we started communicating to our clients. That's what we talked about. We're here to make memories. And it built out so many other product lines, events. So suddenly I went from also selling one thing to selling a multi-channel product line. Mm. And then clients wanted to be a part of that. And then we got memberships and memberships meant that they, if we did it right, they brought friends and those friends became members. So a premium client is not looking for something that's just going to be a quick fix, Mm. right? A premium client thinks, well, how am I going to feel, look, experience? Are you going, they think about a Tesla, Tesla 
doesn't, you don't walk up to a Tesla dealer and look at all the features and benefits and then MSRP it. They take you on a Tesla drive that you schedule an appointment, like you're going to get a pedicure and you get in a Tesla and they all, I don't know if you know this, that, that, um, they're actually Tesla representatives that know a road they can take you on for the Tesla launch. So mm-hmm. they will take you into a Tesla and create the Tesla launch because they want you to feel the power of the Tesla. And when you do that, it's not like now you're going to feel, they're not explaining it. They let the client feel that. Mm-hmm. And then it's experiential. It's a yeah. culture of Tesla. And guess what? Peloton does the same thing. You're not just getting on a bike. You're transforming in 20 minutes to feel different. And Peloton knew that. That's why Peloton came out with, we're not just about being a Schwinn bike or NordaTrack. We're about a culture that people want to be a part of something. They want to be motivated to work out. They call it the wolf pack. So when you get on a Peloton bike, you're not biking. You're part of the pack. Mm -hmm. You're a genius. So when you look at Apple, Tesla, Peloton, they're creating raving fan cultures. They're transforming their clients into being, feeling, or having something different after they work with them. They also have touch points that are consistent with that, right? It's not like you, if you got on a Peloton, but the sales experience was kind of choppy, the bike didn't always work, and the well, not that I don't know what to call them, the spinners. <laughs> Why am I blanking on the name? Like whatever, the, the people you watch spinning. If they oh, yeah, the instructors. Out. The instructors. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I was like, they're spinners. That's <laughs> 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 so weird. Um, but if they were so-so, it'd be like, nah. But there's a reason that Jeff Bezos, when he started Amazon, when he went over to Amazon, even though it was just a bookstore, his entire process of growing Amazon constantly and consistently was our clients are like friends we're inviting to the party and we're the hosts. Mm. A premium client doesn't want to be sold to. They want to be invited to a party. So one of the number one ways to be a premium product, have a party. And I don't mean like throw a party. I mean, have something that's invitational worthy. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and talk about it in a way that's exciting. Cause I think people freak out around sales. They get really, mm-hmm. like you said, bad wolf. And uh, well, one of my clients, we just had a, a call yesterday. She was like, I just love that. I don't have the ick around sales anymore because we've developed, we, we wrote her custom scripts, but she knows that it's not a robotic reading the sales script. And so what do you think? It's tuning in your client differently, inviting them into a transformation and then simply serving them there mm-hmm. at the party. Yeah. And that just takes a lot of connection to your values. It takes a lot of connection to your client values. And then it takes a real connection to creating a culture that best represents that. I have a really good example of this Okay, in my own life. So this is so fascinating, Crystal. Um, I have always been an athlete and, um, I mean like growing up and high school and like my college years and like early twenties, I was a tennis player. You know, my brother was a baseball player. So I grew up in that world. And then as an adult, if you don't play the sport and you still want to be in shape, like my outlet was the gym because I married, my husband was a personal trainer at one time. 
And so I've been, we've been going to like, you know, local gyms here, which is like your normal gym, right? There's personal trainers on the floor. You've got your cardio deck, you have your weights. It's like the typical, you know, gold gym, LA fitness, ours was called crunch. And for quite some time, I mean, I love working out with my husband. I love it. It's like time with me and him. It's something that we've been doing together for so many years since I've known him like for 15 years, but I knew I was like missing quite a few things. I was missing number one community. So to your point, culture, like culture and community. And I was missing something that was challenging me to grow and to expand and to kind of get out of the same routine I had been in. And so I have not officially joined yet, but uh, I started getting up, like, get this. I started getting up at 5 a.m. on Monday. Prior to that, I was getting up at 7 to go to a 5.30 a.m. burn boot camp class. It's 30 seconds down the road, and it, it, it's a gym, but not your typical gym. And every single thing that you just said, about what a premium client wants and how a company provides a premium marketing, sales, onboarding, delivery experience. You have literally just described without naming that company and the gym, my experience as a consumer with this new gym called Burn Bootcamp. Um, Every single thing you just said, and just to compare pricing for us to go to Crunch Fitness, for me and my husband, every month, it's $26 a month. For me to have a 12-month membership at a burn boot camp, it's $164 a month. And there's no weight machines. There are a couple, there's some free weights, but it is, and I'll tell you one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to go, it was community. I wanted community. And that is what brings more people in. So it's not like they're going out and like grabbing people off the street, trying to lure them in. You feel literally lured in. And today was my third day going. I have a seven-day free trial. And today I got a free coaching session. I got a free coaching session after the workout. I'm not even paying. I'm not even paying to be part of this gym yet. But literally everything you just described and I would consider myself more of a premium client. Consumer, yep. I'm more of a premium consumer. Therefore, I am so attracted to that. And I'm not bothered by the price because of how it makes me feel. It makes me feel accomplished. I feel supported. I feel like I'm part of the community already on day three. I feel challenged. Like I feel all these things that I wanted to feel like, yes, I'm going to get stronger. Like, yes, all those things. And those are part of my goals too, but you literally just described. And I'll just, just so our listeners can really get this also from like my own real life experience. Um, there was an article that came out. I don't know the magazine. It's like some sort of fitness magazine about six months. No, it was the end of last year. And they were showing different um, fitness companies and how, by what percentage they declined because of the pandemic and everything I'm talking like orange theory, like names that we all know, these companies exist. If you're listening to this, you might be visiting those places and paying your monthly membership. Every single one of them declined between like 17 and like 40 some odd percent. Burn Bootcamp was the only company in the fitness industry, gym industry, and the entire nation that increased during the pandemic by 
it was like 20 or 30%. That is because of what you just shared with us. Yep. It's what you just shared. You know, what's so beautiful is I was just in Utah and I was staying at a, um, I was there for a speaker event. And so I was staying with one of my girlfriends and the gym is literally two minutes away and it's a, I don't know, planet fitness or something. And she said, okay, so I know there's that gym down the street, but we've been going there for months and we discovered this other place. Can I take you? And I said, sure. It's a, it's, I'm, it's from two minutes to a 20 minute drive, but we get there and the, so nice. The greeting was kind. Everything was clean, beautiful smoothie bar. And like to go eggs and to go protein snacks. I, the machines were amazing. We went in the spa, we went in the sauna. We, we had an experience, same exact story as you. It was $30 a month for her to go to, to whatever planet fitness it's 300 a month. I mean, but here is the key that place is full. So when we ask ourselves, where are our premium clients? Well, we need to know where else they're spending their time. Right. And for her, she also spent her time at Whole Foods. She also spent her time at other high-end grocery stores. That is a community that also fits the community of this high-end fitness place. Mm -hmm. So when you look at, let's say Rolex, Rolex doesn't do commercials. They sponsor sailing events, yachting events. That's where their ideal client is. So oftentimes we think like a Facebook ad, which by the way, is falling apart quicker than you can Mm. like think of a Jenga game. It's just everybody who's always put their chips into a ad strategy is totally pivoting Mm. because everybody now knows after sitting in front of a computer, they're being targeted. Yeah. And then Facebook's had to change and Facebook's been changing. So think about not targeting, like you're on a deer hunt, <laughs> your client, right? Cause that's what an ad is. It's like a sniper shot. And, but, but with a lot of bullets, right. You're like, let's get everybody catch the nut. Instead I'm saying, well, what if you had an invitation to a party? Where would you mm-hmm. be going to invite those people? If you said, okay, I know I need a speaker and a singer and you would explore it with opportunity. And Mm -hmm. we often don't realize that our clients want to hear from us. If we have the right party, they can be joining anyone. It's, it's that simple. Yeah. So I know that you have been kind of developing this idea and and even like teaching people this idea of curating a client culture, Mm -hmm. which again, those examples you and I just shared, you know, my experience, I'm having at 5 30 AM with burn bootcamp. I'm jealous. Clearly. Yeah. Like go find one near you. Clearly. I want to, I will take all my friends there too. Like, again, like they don't even have to ask me, do you know anybody that you would bring? I'm, (laughs) I would just like bring people in. That's clearly what my personal experience has been in just three days, the first three days before I've even been asked to join and pay for a membership. Nobody's even brought it up to me. I'm like walking in every day, working out. They're treating me just like I'm a paying member. Clearly, they have created a particular culture. Talk more about that. You know, what do you? What does it mean to create curate a client culture? How do? Yeah. Where do you start with? Where do you even start with that? Absolutely. So, the word curated means organize and present, right? So, when you think about the the origins of 
curated. And, and for those who don't know, um, in, in Italian or in Latin, curare is like to take something and transition it, right? It's like when we cure meat, it's like, okay, we're, it's here, but then it's going to develop into this. Or you're, some people cured sourdough or kombucha over COVID. Curare, to curate, means that you are organizing your business in a way that you then can present it. And a lot of people don't do that. They, they build a website and then they go. But your website is not a culture. Your website is a business card. And so the culture is a living, breathing thing that needs to be like thriving so that your sales can come alive. So what I really recommend, if you want to have a premium client, what are your values? Absolutely know them and make sure they're lining up. And what is the transformation you're providing, truly providing? And then how can you deliver on that? So culture is about those things being presented in your messaging, in the feeling of working with you. Like I, I, my, my assistant, she's the concierge because I came from hospitality. I talked to her, I'm like, you are a concierge. So how does that look? What does that feel like? Concierge is very different than a VA because it gives a different feeling, right? So then she knows how I expect her to act, not as an assistant, but as my concierge. And so if she's a client concierge, that's a different feeling because we've had that discussion. The SOPs are different. The feeling is different. That's my value because I value hospitality. Somebody else, it might be um, a success coach. It might be a, a weight loss winning coach or whatever it is. You know, you you have to define your values, define the, the transformation, and then build your touch points with your clients around that. And with one of my clients, what I always say is don't go an inch deep and a mile wide on strategies to chase down a client. I mean, she's amazing, but she has been through more masterminds, more marketing training. She has, it, it's just like a full on massive closet full of strategies to chase a client. Mm-hmm. And what if your clients were chasing you mm-hmm. the way you described, because that feeling of I'm going to try a webinar, I'm going to do this. And that's not bad. But when the experience of the onboarding, the experience of the webinar, the slides, the maybe you have somebody call to check on them, whatever it is, how is that showing up as a culture instead of the to-do list? Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I love doing my with with my clients. This one client I worked with, we went through all of her strategies. We defined her client culture. We defined her business culture first, then her client culture. And we're literally getting rid of things, mm. rid of things that aren't working because sometimes we think more is more, it's better. And yeah. it's not. Sometimes premium businesses and price points, it's, it's think about the difference of when you walk in a Saks Fifth Avenue or when you walk in a Walmart. Right. When you walk into Saks Fifth Avenue, there's space. It's organized. You you have a chance to see things, absorb things, touch them. You walk into Walmart, you're like, oh, just add to cart, add to cart, add to cart. So this whole idea of even what I teach my clients is you don't start at the bottom. Like a seven dollar this and a nine dollar this and a twenty-seven dollar mm-hmm. middle. Okay, but start at the top and graciously work your way down. Mm-hmm. 
but you don't have to start at like minimizing your self-worth and your, I mean, think about Chanel. Chanel didn't start off selling lipstick. Mm -hmm. She started off by saying, I want women to love what they wear. And so I'm going to curate, I'm going to create very minimal pieces that have become legacy pieces. And then over time, the culture of that was that it also became a bag. It became a scarf. It became a lipstick so that people still have a chance to access that culture in a way that still makes them feel good. But then the people who really want the Chanel jacket still buy the Chanel jacket, but she didn't start off by trying to start off with a lipstick and then create a a jacket from a lipstick. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the biggest flip I love to make with my clients is the funnel idea is all wrong. You don't need to catch more. And, and I, if you look at it like a triangle where it's like all these strategies and feed them in and then nurture them. And then, then your, you know, rates of clothes get down, 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 down. Instead it's what if you were building and you were giving your clients ladders to get to the top with you? Mm, Instead I love of that. Dumping them down a waterfall of your offers. Yeah. In terms of the, like, in terms of the actual offer that you're providing a premium client. Mm-hmm. What is the premium client looking for in terms of what's being delivered? And I'll be a little bit more specific. One of the things that you and I both probably hear from clients, especially when they're delivering coaching, like some sort of service that maybe there isn't like a tangible done for you product that's being delivered, like a website, for example. A lot of clients, service providers will say, well, in order for me to really uh, show the value of my $10,000 or $15,000 or $20,000 yada, I need to add more curriculum. I need to add videos. Oh. I need to add modules. I need to Can you talk a little bit about the psychology of the premium clients? And once they've already, per- let's say they've already purchased and they've purchased something that is, it's a service, it's it's five figures or multiple five figures. It could be a mastermind. It could be a retreat. It could be a done with you service. It could be coaching, consulting, any of that. Are they looking for more stuff packed inside the offer or something else? No, I, I I'm so glad you brought it up. That's probably the biggest thing that I see. I have the opportunity to work my clients through is more is not always better. But taking again in consideration the client's transformation. So it might be, for instance, one of my clients has so many amazing ways that she can deliver. And so one of her old emails used to be like, watch my podcast, do this, and it would just be deliver, deliver, deliver every podcast. But what happens is if you always are eating, hmm. you're full. You can't keep eating. And so think about instead, like, how would you course out the experience when you go to a Michelin star restaurant, which is what like a premium client would expect is, Hey, I want a little appetizer and think about a a Michelin star restaurant. You do not have the olive garden, you know, family style meal, right? So don't create a family style meal offer. And then, and then when it's a Michelin star client, think about it as what are you serving them? That's going to get them ready for the next course. And then the next course, and then the next course. So taking what you may want to offer, but really thinking, well, how do I want my client to leave? What experiences do I want them to have? And it may be that meeting every week is too much for them because it becomes stressful. It may be that uh, logging into a portal, no, thank you. I'd rather you just Voxer me 
or send me a pre-done audio every week or once a whatever it is that your delivery should be thoughtful so that it builds. Mm. And I learned that's why I'm redoing my mastermind because what I sometimes have to, you know, eat my own soup where it's like, okay, yeah. what could I be doing differently? So everything is in transition for me as I'm going back and going, what does the curated client want? And and rebuilding it because there's a lot of experiences where this past client, I realized they want more team dynamic. They need more team access. They need not just for me to work with them, but they want to know, well, how do I teach this to my team? So that's something that I'm doing for my one-on-one clients and saying, absolutely, let's do a team call once. So there's just a lot of rebuilding that we sometimes have to also listen to feedback. I think the, don't be afraid of your client or your ideal client, interview them. Because I, one of my clients, you know, is coming up on contract and I said, Hey, just so you know, these are the next calls. And one of them is a wrap up call. I want to know how I could have served you better through our time together. And she was like, Oh, well, okay. That sounds great. Because then I know I'm going to have a chance to interview her. And if you don't have a premium client, go find one that you would love and just say, I'm creating something that I, I really could use some feedback and you would be the ideal client that I would want feedback from. Could I ask you some questions? My my business bestie called me last week and said that, hey, you are my ideal client. Can I answer you some questions? Yeah. yeah. Like you said, I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are afraid to be perceived or seen as I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the things, but that's such an important element of working with that client um, and, and crafting your experiences for them. Yep. Yeah. So if you were going to kind of leave the listeners with a starting place, whether they are newer in business or they're already well-established and maybe they're transitioning, like you and I were talking before, you and I, but you and I, you know, personally, and then lots of people that we're talking to where many of us are kind of transitioning, we are shifting, we're reinventing ourselves and we're doing exactly what you're talking about. And we're not new to business either. So if you're going to be speaking to that person um, who, who is really sitting on a phenomenal opportunity and they haven't quite been guiding their businesses in this way that we're chatting about here today, where would you suggest they start moving in this direction? I would start with really revisiting your brand values. That Those brand values also, by the way, are not something you just read on Pinterest. I have, I have serious respect for Pinterest, but don't build your business plan in a premium way based off of Pinterest pins. They have to be integral with who you are. Like for me, and so for me, it's quality. For me, it's connection. For me, there's a lot of values that when I work with my clients, their values are different. And that's beautiful because that's what the world needs. We do not need all the same Pinterest pin value set that we're like, this is who I am. There's uh, one thing I love to do is I have brand assessment. So I have an assessment. I always have my clients go through because then we we help see, they sometimes need to be seen in their mirror for who they are. Oh, this is actually who I am. Assessments are a great way to give yourself permission to be that. Um, then it's that transformation for your client. Now using your values, how would you want to transform your client? Don't think about your offer. Think about the transformation. Backwards engineer it. And then don't be afraid to ask your ideal client if it's a good idea, how do they like it? What is the feedback? Because ultimately that's really going to make a difference. Yeah. And don't be afraid to charge your worth. 
There you go, folks. There you have it. Start with those values. Thank you so much, Crystal. This was such a phenomenal conversation. We could obviously keep going on and on. And if people do want to connect with you, follow you, see what you've got going on in your world, where are the best places for them to find you and connect with you? Absolutely. So crystalclifton.com is a great place just to see what I'm up to. I host monthly masterclasses and my name's a little funny. So it's C-H-R-Y-S-T-A-L. There's even, if you go to crystalclifton.com forward slash podcast gift, there's one of my most popular masterclasses. And this masterclass is about how to have clients fall in love with you. So that one people love, and there's a whole guide and workbook to that. Um, And then I'm active on Instagram and LinkedIn. Those are my, those are my places. I love serving there. I love always when I'm doing masterclasses, I post about them on LinkedIn. I'm I'm really wanting to serve the, especially women who need to know, well, how do I charge my worth? I give myself permission to be who I know I'm meant to be. That's fun for me. Those are just those types of clients I love. Awesome. And you can go catch those links in the show notes just below. Thank you so much, Crystal. This was amazing. Thank you, Megan. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.